we had the luxury of three things. We had the luxury of time, so this was a five-year grant, which extended to six years, because we had a no-cost extension. We had the luxury of money, it was a $4 million grant. And then the third thing is that we, you know, w the two of us are sitting here, but this is like a massive collective brain. If you look at our, at our site, I mean, everywhere to like, including Peter Salovey, who, you know, actually helped me to write the grant and was sort of this, you know, wise voice yeah. along the way and game developers and community psychologists and social psychologists and pediatricians and HIV specialists and addiction specialists. So no one person could kind of do this. It was all of this expertise put together. So those three elements, I think, made this process possible and, and to be successful. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Marshall, a producer for the Yale GradCast. And you just heard from a leading researcher, Dr. Lynn Feline, who heads the Play to Prevent Lab here at Yale. And I interviewed her and her colleague, Dr. Kimberly Hefia, with fellow GradCast producer, Bara Bedwan, about their incredibly innovative research on how they can harness the power of video games to influence children's attitudes about sexual health and other risky behaviors. Their group has published many papers on their video game intervention technique and educational programs to teach children and teens about risk prevention, well-being, and social intelligence. And we'll be focusing on their work in the second installment of our Campus Conversation segment. We focus here on the origins of their project, the personalities behind their work, and also the outcomes they're seeing through their research with the New Haven community. We hope that you enjoy learning about some of their amazing hands-on science that is happening right here on our own campus. So let's get started. So my name is Lynn Feline. I'm an associate professor of medicine uh, at the Yale School of Medicine at the Child Study Center. I spent the first two years as a faculty member doing entirely clinical work. Decided that I should check that out to see if I wanted to be a full-time clinician. Decided I didn't um, and applied for a K award, which is a career development award. Um, was granted a five-year K award from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. And, um, and so my, my career really for the last 15 years has primarily been research. I'm Kimberly Hefia. I'm a research scientist here at the Yale School of Medicine. My PhD is in health behavior uh, with a focus on education psychology. When I was finishing my, my PhD and looking for jobs, Lynn had posted a position for a postdoc here at Yale to develop and evaluate a, a video game in a large randomized control trial around HIV prevention in young adolescents. Beyond your backgrounds in medicine, what specifically motivated you to develop the Play to Prevent lab? I'm trained in internal medicine, so I'm an adult doctor, and so a lot of the patients I was seeing who had issues around substance use disorders and HIV, you know, these were folks who were, you know, already in their 20s and 30s, and yet when you get, you know, take their history, you find out that a lot of these um, you know, sort of medical conditions and issues arose from risky behaviors during, primarily during adolescence. So it's sort of, and this is not particularly novel, but made me sort of start thinking about how, you know, to really turn back the clock and how, what could we do that could engage adolescents in behavior change or, or establishing good behaviors um, at early ages so that they don't then have to deal in their 20s and 30s with some of these real challenging medical issues. Um, and so um, ended up actually submitting a grant in response to a call for pr proposals from the National Institutes of Health 
um, and proposed to develop and evaluate a video game for risk reduction and HIV prevention in teenagers, and sort of remarkably, the NIH went for it. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, though. There are other mechanisms by which you can teach children and young adults about sex. Why did you land on video games specifically? When you think about health behavior and, and changing it, or changing any behaviors, if you can find people where they are already, mm-hmm. that right there is half the battle, as opposed to dragging them to a situation where they're like already kind of starting to tune out. Yeah. You know, you've lost them before you've even started. So the notion of using games and these types of interactive technologies to really engage, especially kids, young adults, you know, even adults, yeah. um, I think is really what we're focused on. So you're teaching children about what some people may view as controversial topics, including sex, alcohol, HIV testing, and prevention. Did you ever face any challenges from the schools or community or get pushback from parents while you were developing this work? We didn't have pushback. We didn't. We actually had, like, wait lists. I mean, we had more kids, I think, than we could have. We, we couldn't know, keep up We couldn't with. keep up. 333 kids, and we could have kept going. Yeah. The, the schools, especially schools, because a lot of schools don't have... Um, mandated sexual health programs, and they're not um, all the same all across Connecticut either. So a lot of a, a lot of times, we were the only thing coming in that had you know that wow. was teaching these kids some of this stuff. So our big challenge was how to take something that was educational and still make it engaging, and and I don't want to use necessarily fun, but engaging enough for them to stay, engaged, you know, want to play and finish well, it and learn something. Fun. <laughs> well, because. Um, we're not trying to trick kids like okay. you know they get in and they, they know that this is a game about they're learning about mm-hmm. risk behaviors and um you know and of course parts of the game are are fun but they're more engaging i would say than fun. our goal was not to make it fun and go compete against you know super fun awesome games that kids yeah. are playing because we're not going to win but it, it is try would you rather play this game around hiv prevention and sexual risk reduction you would you rather play a fun game or engaging game around that, or would you like to have your teacher kind of? Or your mom be like, "Done now." and you're not going to answer. You're not going to raise your hand and ask your teacher, you know, yeah. some of those questions that you might have as an 11, 12, 13 year old. But you can explore them privately in a game, and you can, yeah. especially around consequences of, you know. You know, taking grandma's pills or trying to steal, you know, selling grandma's pills at school or, you know, having sex without condoms, those kind of things that you maybe as a teenager really don't have any kind of concept of what what those real consequences look like, but to experience them in a safe game. We were honest in this game. You know, we didn't, I mean, I don't think, we didn't do things that were gratuitous, but we didn't, you know, we really felt an obligation to give kids an accurate, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, like we weren't going to cut corners and, you know, try to dumb it down. We really yeah. wanted to give them the information. And um, mm-hmm. and I thought there might be more kind of cringing, but um, again, we did it sort of respectfully and, and they really welcomed it. So now that we have a better sense for the motivation behind the project and what Play to Prevent entails, can you tell us about the science? How do you measure success in this program? Our goal was to always use very rigorous scientific methods so that we really knew what we wanted to measure and we made sure that we measured it. And, um, and as Kim said, we've, we've published a lot of um, papers along the way to really document our process so that that's very much you know, sort of out there and, um, 
and and set and made public. Um, but I think you know part of the goal was to really develop something that was very high quality that we took the time, the effort, got the input from our you know our target audience of adolescents, you know all of this you know intellect from everybody who was involved created something that we really felt was was novel and exciting and you know and was doing what we hoped it would do um, and then we measured it and we measured it for up to two years. Oftentimes with behavior change if we can change their knowledge and their risk perceptions and and maybe their, the social norms in which they kind of you know kind of exist in this in this realm um, their attitudes all of that if we can shift those we have a good chance of shifting behavior kind of we, we know the science the theory behind that um, and then so we did we looked at attitudes intentions knowledge all of that we measured all of that and then we also and self-efficacy around refusing you know around situations around drugs alcohol um, and sex and then we also measured for um, behaviors in terms of initiation of sex we had about 16 different assessments mm -hmm. that we did, and over time, so we did them at baseline. Um, you know, kids were randomized to play either our game, play forward, or a set of control games, which they played for about six weeks, and then we did the same assessments at six weeks, three months, six months, 12 months, and 24 months. Um, and we had upwards of around 85% retention. So there's substantial debate within the psychological literature with respect to whether violent video games promote violent behavior in children. And explicit in this debate is that what people do in video games translates into real-world behavior. How does your work sit in conversation with this debate? Presumably you do want children to learn in the game and that to translate into how they act in real life. So what are your thoughts? What kids do in games is that what they do in real life, right? That's the, that's a huge translation. And in violence, you don't want it to translate. And in health, good health behaviors, you do want it to translate. So, so I think you're right. It's sort of a double-edged sword because you want, you know, for the violent stuff that kids experience in video games, you want them to be like, leave it in the game. You know, it's just a game. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, with us, what we're hoping is that that translation is complete. It's you don't want them to just do really well and be healthy in the game. You want those things to be, you know, behaviors that they translate out. Um, and that is, I mean, and I think that's still a question of, you know, is, you know, what is the magic formula for getting that to happen? Our goal was to make it a really authentic, relevant experience and really experiential so that kids could feel like, oh, I remember, you know, yeah, I remember doing that in the game and what that felt like. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that happen in real life. We hope you enjoyed this brief feature on Yale's Play to Prevent Lab. We only had time to scratch the surface of the type of research their group is embarking on. To give you a better sense of their future endeavors, they also received an additional grant from the NIH to explore how their video games can encourage teens to get tested for HIV, among other health promotion behaviors. They also received an award from the CVS Health Foundation to get involved with the Be the First initiative, which is a program helping to make the next generation the first tobacco-free generation. So they'll be working on their Play Forward game to teach children about tobacco and smoking prevention, which will hopefully end up being in the hands of thousands of children. And finally, they also got a gift from Oculus, the company who builds virtual reality software to launch a program around vaping and e-cigarette prevention. If you want to know more about their lab, 
check out their website at www.playtoprevent.org. And the two is the number two, not the word two. There will also be additional information in the description of this episode if you want to learn more. We hope to have more Campus Conversation content for you in the next couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for future GradCast podcasts. Also, be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and check us out on soundcloud.com slash YaleGradCast. Also, follow Yale Graduate Student Assembly on Facebook for more updates on new episodes and general GSA happenings. We also want to thank Dr. Lynn Feline and Hefia for taking their time to meet with us, Barra for helping us with the interview, Nick Curry for help produce this episode, and Dean Slight for his support. Have a great week. Yale GradCast. Brought to you by the Graduate Student Assembly.